0: This is a sermon from Cornerstone Church in Kingston. We're delighted to make these resources available for you and hope that you enjoy the ministry of God's Word today. There are lots of other resources on our website which we are pleased to make available and you can browse our website and download sermons and podcasts, read blogs and articles. And if you've been listening for a while and you would like to get to know the church or for us to get to know you a bit, there is an e-contact card, a welcome card that you can fill in on our website, and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, And if you have a Bible with you, um, if you'd like to turn to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3, we'll be reading um, the whole chapter. Um, But if you don't have a Bible, it's okay. Um, It's going to come up on screen so you can follow it there. Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him are not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then, if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing to you with these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you will speak to us now through Pete. Please teach us something of yourself from your word. Amen.
1: Well, good morning. My name is Pete Woodcock, and uh, I'm one of the elders of the church, and we're going to be looking at elders uh, right now, but um, let me ask... The Lord, to help me. Father, we, we thank you for the songs that we've sung and the, all the kids that are out now, and what a blessing these, these, uh, these things are to us. Uh, thank you for the band and all the people that have set up the chairs, and uh, it, it's, it's such a blessing to be part of a team where there are so many people working hard that we may hear your word. Help us now then, please, to hear your word, uh, that we may respond to it in faith. In trust in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Now there are certain households, families, uh, that capture the public interest, royalty, celebrities, and so forth. Uh, What's it like to live in that household? We want we want to know. What are the secrets? What are the hidden ways of working within the household? Uh, uh, How are the members of the household treated? Um, What's the relationships like within within that household. Uh, Is there a hierarchy in the household? And what is it like to be under that hierarchy? And how do they treat the outside world? Um, Are they fair? Are they kind? Are they generous people? And of course, if anyone leaves a household or a family, then we're really interested to know why did they leave and uh, what's it all about and what it really is like inside. How were you treated Dish up the dirt. What are the inside personal conversations? Uh, What's it like living and being brought up in that household? Write a book. Spare us nothing. (laughs) That's the sort of thing that we want. Now Paul is writing about a household and none other than the household of God. What's it like being in that household? And he's writing about what is expected of an overseer of this household of God. So in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, have a look at it. Paul writes, Although I hope to come to you, he's writing to Timothy, although uh, although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing to you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you know how people ought to conduct themselves, look at it, in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. He's talking about the household and how you conduct yourself in the household of this living church. In verse 5, he talks about the care of God's church. And in verse 1 of chapter 3, here is a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer of this household, an overseer of this household desires a noble task. So we're in the household. We're asking questions. What's it like? What's it like to be an overseer? And my first point is this. It's a noble task. It's a noble task. Now here is one of Paul's famous trustworthy sayings. It's his second one, actually, in, in 1 Timothy so far. Uh, he says, here's a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer of this household desires a noble task. And when he says, "is a trustworthy saying, he's sort of saying, hey, wow. Oi, listen to this. It's, it's not that everything else he says is untrustworthy. It's like underlining this. He says, This is really, really good news. This is amazing. This is wonderful. And it's wonderful to its core. It's true. It's good news that you can believe. Now, back in chapter one, and you can turn to it if you want to, there's another trustworthy saying. His first one is in verse 15. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who believe in him. And receive eternal life. See what Paul is saying is. This is a trustworthy saying. This is a wonderful saying. And he's overwhelmed with the wonder of God. And the wonder of God's love for him personally. And Paul is saying. I'm really happy to be on display. To the world. And to the church. I'm really happy to be on display. To prove the trustworthy saying. That Christ Jesus came into the world. To save sinners of whom I'm the chief. Or whom I'm the worst. He he wants people to point him out. See that bloke over there? Yeah? That's that's Paul. He was Saul. See him? Do you see him? See that man? He was once a blasphemer. He, He was once a persecutor. He was once a violent man. But no more. Listen, that bloke there... You're thinking, gosh, he's pointed out a violent man, a blasphemer, a persecutor. I want to move away from him. No, don't move away from him. Queue up. Have a chat with him. Go and meet him afterwards. Take him a coffee. He's phenomenal. He's changed. He is now a member in the household of the God that he blasphemed. Wow! The God he blasphemed welcomes him as a member. He is now appointed an overseer. In the family of people that he once persecuted, even putting to death one. Wow. He was once a violent man towards this household that he's now loving being a member of. It's an amazing thing. And he's he's been shown mercy so he can be an example to the rest of the world. He's an outsider that's come into this wonderful, glorious household. And he's saying, I want the church to be like that to the world. And if it's going to be like that to the world, an example of God's grace to the world like I am, then the overseers of this household must be great examples of being changed by grace, of sinners coming to Christ. Look at the words he uses. He uses the word church. Did you notice that in our reading? Church is not a building. Yep, that's why we can meet here. This is church. It's a people. It's an assembly. It's a congregation. It's a gathering. The Greek word means called out from to gather, together. That's church. We're called out from the world to gather together, to witness to the world. Then notice he says, church of the living God. Did you notice that? This isn't a dead God. This isn't some religion <laughs> going on here. This is, this is a wonderful, trustworthy saying. This is the assembly of the living God, the source of all life it's the assembly of that God. And then notice he uses the word "household," which it means "dwelling, an inhabited house. It's not just an empty castle, it's an inhabited house. The assembled household dwelling place of God, that's what the church is. And it's wonderful, because it's what God has always been about. In fact, it's what the whole universe is heading towards. A great assembly of lots of different households of God coming into the universal household of God. That's where we're going. That's where we're heading. To the great celebration when the whole household of God throughout the world and throughout uh, time comes together. And Christ is the bridegroom and the bride is the church. God made us For this household. God's son Jesus died for this household. Hebrews chapter 12. For the joy, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus came to die on that cross With all the shame and indignity and pain, he endured that. Why? For the joy of coming into the household of God, where there's the throne of God, and presenting a people to God, bringing his bride into the household. Right at the end of the book of Revelation, let us rejoice, the last book in the Bible... Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready. There is this consummation. There is this household celebration. There is this marriage before the throne of the bride and the bridegroom in the household of God. Martin Luther was a German reformer Right back in the 16th century, he says, uh, uh, he used to use this illustration. He says there's a king, he tells a story about a king, represents Jesus, was marrying a poor, uh, well, more than a poor girl, a prostitute. The king was marrying a prostitute. The king represents Jesus, the prostitute represents us. It was his great illustration. And at their wedding day, she says to him, All that I am, I give to you, and all that I have, I share with you. And she shares her debt, and her shame, and her diseases. But the king says, All that I am, I give to you, and all that I have, I share with you. And he shares his righteousness, his power, his love, his household, all of that. It's a beautiful, beautiful summary of the gospel that our great bridegroom takes our sin on himself and our judgment and he shares his righteousness with us. And we're just waiting for that eternal celebration. We're waiting for that eternal household of the living God. And uh, while we're waiting, the bride is meant to get themselves ready. So in the individual households all the way around the world, in local churches, Paul says, whoever aspires to be an overseer of this earthly household, waiting for the great consummation, that great wedding day, whoever aspires to be an overseer of this household, desires a noble task. This is a noble task! Here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. The word noble means honourable, excellent, high quality. Why is it a noble task? Because you're overseeing the getting ready of the household for the wedding day. What an amazing task that is. So before Paul presents the qualifications of an overseer, he encourages Christians to aspire to this noble task. The word aspire uh, actually means uh, sets his heart on or stretches himself uh, after. So here's a man aspiring, struggling to overcome his weaknesses to acquire the needs for the task. There's this stretching out, overcoming my weaknesses so that I could do a noble task like this. And the word desire is very similar. It means there's a goal before him. There's an ambition he's stretching out and running towards. So with his fullest desires, with his strength stretching out, he wants to be a servant, an overseer in this household. Paul says that's good. That's a noble task. Stretching, struggling to live A a life that is an example to the world and to the church. And of course that servanthood. Jesus says whoever wants to be great among you must be a servant. Whoever wants to be first must be a slave just as the Son of Man didn't come to be served but to serve and lay his life down as, as a ransom for many. That's the noble task. Serving the household. And you do it in a number of ways. Verse 5, it says manage the household of God. And verse 2, it says able to teach the household of God. This is what particularly overseers must have. And Paul, I know we've got a lot of verses here, but Paul sort of shows us what that task looks like on the ground when he talks to the Ephesian (coughs) elders. He's writing to Timothy to talk to the Ephesian elders now, but earlier on... Years before, he had talked to the Ephesian elders, and he had said this, and it shows us something of the task at ground level. He says this in Acts chapter 20. Now listen carefully. He says, this is Paul speaking to the elders. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock for which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you, And will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. This is the working out of the noble task. It's noble. Because you're dealing with the household of none other than the living God, the church of the living God. But it, he says, look, you're overseers here. You overlook, you look over. But the first thing is keep watch on yourself. Oversee yourself. Don't let go of yourself. Be careful, pay attention to how you live because you're the example to the household. And then look after the flock. Then he says, the Holy Spirit made you overseers. This is a work of the Spirit. This is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit of God to oversee the household. Then he says, be shepherds and watch out for wolves. There are liars and wolves and false teachers. And they're even come up amongst you to kill the sheep. Watch out. And then he says, look at me, I'm an example. Day and night I did this job. It's not just a job, you see. It's a life. It's not just a job in a church. It's a calling and a life and a Holy Spirit energised overseeing. And notice that the elders are plural. It's not just one man. It's not just one man. You need a group of people working together. So... That's my first point. It's a noble task of shepherding and managing the household. That's my first point, the noble task. Here's my second point. The extraordinary work of an ordinary life. The extraordinary work of an ordinary life. (laughs) It's so ordinary. What are the qualifications of an overseer? Well, let me read them, verses 2 to 7. Chapter 3. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. He must do so in a manner worthy of, of full respect, if anyone does not know how to manage his own family. How can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. (laughs) To aspire and desire to be an overseer is not so much to uh, to, to, to aspire and desire the role but the characteristics that make the role. The characteristics that make you suitable for the role. That's what you should aspire to. It's all about character. It's the Holy Spirit working in everyday ordinary life. Character. Way more important than gift... In one sense, when you read this stuff out, it's an unremarkable list. It's just an ordinary day living. It's about your character in everyday life. Character is more important than structure. Character is more important than personality. Character is more important than ability. Character is more important than gifts. Character is more important than looks. Character is more important than education. The overseer of the household of the living God is to reflect normal Christian living, he's saying. You're never massively different to anyone else in the congregation except for the able to teach. We'll come to that in a minute. The overseer is to model ordinary Christian life in everyday life. There is nothing said about being part of the top education elite. Is there? There's, there's nothing saying about what school he went to, or what Bible college he went to, or what theological degrees he's got. There's nothing about has he got an entrepreneurial spirit in order to plant a church, because that's what we need. Nothing about that. Is he a great leader? Nothing about that. Nothing about being a great preacher. Nothing about how many books has he written, how many platforms does he speak on, or being a great strategist, or being a miracle worker. There's nothing about that. It's ordinary stuff, but extraordinary. Of the 15 characteristics of an elder, of an overseer, 14 are about character, godly living, and one is about gift. So often, we we adopt a model of the world. It always amazes me with books. And when you go to the back and there's a picture of the bloke who's written the book, And it doesn't just tell you he was a filthy sinner and he was saved by grace of Christ. It says he's written 18 books and he's been 83 years teaching at this theological college, even though he's only 25. (laughs) Uh, And here's a beautiful picture of his wife. And there's his wife there and he's got 14 children. Um, We don't know whether they're crazy children or not. Um, but it's all about how much he speaks, and he knows Don Carson, or something like that. Or <laughs> it's, it's amazing, isn't it? How we can so easily pick up the world. There's nothing about that. So let's whiz through these things. We'll go through as many as we can, and we'll whiz through them. Above reproach. Above reproach means nothing to take hold of. You can't take hold of, you can't take him down. Yeah. He must have nothing in his life that Satan or unsaved people can legitimately criticize the church for. Now, people may want to take him down. People always do attack a godly man. That's always going to happen, but there's nothing that sticks really. There's no truth about the accusations. And even if he does make mistakes, which he may well, he, he's above reproach in the sense he'll say sorry. He'll make mistakes, but he'll confess and repent and make amends. That's what's going on here. He wants no excuse for sin in his life. So you can't stick something to him, that's what he's saying. Above reproach, and I mean, in one sense, all the other things that come on, the above reproach, are the things, uh, 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 are sort of a description of what a, a, a above reproach is. In other words, he's, he's not open to obvious violations of any of the things that become the rest of his character. So, above reproach, faithful to, to his wife. Uh, or, as some uh, translations have, the husband of one wife. It literally means a one woman man. Yeah? I don't think it means he has to be married. But he's got to be a one-woman man. It doesn't mean he has to be married because of 1 Corinthians 7 where Paul says that, you know, I'm not married and it's quite good if you're not in order to serve the gospel. But if you're going to be married, you're a one-woman man. And even if you're not, you're a one-woman man in the sense that you're faithful to the things that you committed to, your covenants, your promises. And in this case, the marriage covenant. You're committed. You honour the marriage covenant. You're committed and you stay committed. How can you handle the bride of Christ, the household of God, if you mistreat your wife? If you treat your wife badly, who are you to handle? The bride of Christ, a one-woman man. So a one-woman man is always aspiring and desiring in the battles of unfaithfulness giving himself again and again to those promises devoting himself to those commitments he's loving his wife he's washing his wife with the word of god says ephesians 5 he's washing his wife for the word of god with the word of god for jesus so he's above reproach he's faithful to one wife he's temperate now the word here it used to be connected with just strong drink Um, but it's much more moderate he's moderate he keeps his head in situations even when things are going bad he's a sensible judgment of things you see Paul is in a shipwreck and everybody's going bonkers but Paul keeps his head and preaches the gospel it's wonderful isn't it so a temperate person can advise someone but he doesn't just speak he'll listen to the person as well he might have to rebuke people, but he knows that you can't just rebuke someone. You've got to give some encouragements as well. So there's encouragements in the rebukes. He's temperate, he's moderate. A temperate man's always looking to God, aspiring, desiring to be moderate in his emotions. Now, we're all different people, and some of us have emotions that flare up very quickly. And some take ages to burn. And that's why you have fellow elders in the church. You moderate. You be careful. You you compare. Self-controlled is the next one. It's very, very similar to moderate. It means self-mastery. Doesn't lose control in a crisis again. Uh, Puts the pen down before he writes back to a critical letter takes a bit of time before he sets off his text in reply. It's so easy, isn't it? But he's self-controlled. He'll discuss with others. He'll say, what do you think? Am I too harsh here? I might need to criticize someone, but is it too harsh? Is it, is it not gentle enough? What is it? What, you know, what, what should I be? So a self-controlled man is always turning to God and turning to others and praying before Responding. Respectable. He knows how to handle again a crisis without stooping to shameful methods of revenge and mudslinging and violence. He can be trusted to keep his word. A respectable man, even if everybody is attacking him and disrespecting him. There is respect back. Hospitable. Hospitable. It means loving strangers, not just looking out for his friends so he can have a laugh with his mates, but loving strangers, as Jesus says in in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, even the pagans will go and make friends with, with their own like. And what good is that, he says? But look out for people that are strangers that are different to you. Put up with their strange ways because they're strangers. They come from other countries, they do things differently. It's weird. Put up with them. In Hebrews 13, the, the writer says, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. And listen, do not forget to show hospita- hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Isn't that amazing? You invite someone round for a meal and you never see them again. I always wonder what happens to those people. Were they offended? May well have been an angel. Yeah? That's a good one. All those people you invite round and they never come back again. That's a good one. I'm going to remember that. Think, what did I do? Was it because I gave them pork? Or was it because, I don't know, my humour didn't go down very well? No. They're angels. (laughs) Yeah. Continue to remember those in prison. As if you were there, together with them. Our brothers and sisters that are in prison. We want to pray for them and love them. Don't we? That's why we want to care for people that are in these countries that are going through that. Brothers and sisters in North Korea... My goodness me. So a hospitable man will aspire to looking out for the the stranger and open his home up to that. Able to teach, we'll come on to that in a minute. Not given to drunkenness, it's a very similar thing. You're not going to be influenced by alcohol or drugs or anything else. You're going to keep a clear head. Uh, as an example, not violent, but gentle. You know, the, the word means not violent. Give it to, you know, you, you, you're, you're not a giver of blows. Um, so you're willing to pardon those that, that mistreat you, and you're willing to forgive. Uh, Spurgeon writes to pastors, and he says that every pastor must have one blind eye and one deaf ear. It's brilliant advice. Because when you're a pastor, you hear all kinds of things. You know, and you've got to turn a deaf ear uh, to what people say about you and a blind eye and pretend you didn't hear it. You come into the kitchen at the hub and there's people talking, and you walk in to make a coffee, and there's suddenly, oh, (coughs) Uh, and you heard something, and you have to say, oh, I didn't know, I didn't know, deaf ear, blind eye, you know, yeah, like that. Um, You have to do that because you're not going to be violent. Uh, uh, not quarrelling, in other words, not getting offend- offended by little things that people say and do, uh, not a lover of money, a lover of money destroys people, a lover of money is a lover of this world, Paul goes on to that in chapter 6, and we'll see that when we get to it, don't be a lover of money, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, Yeah, and, uh, it-, and it is you know, I I, I've, I know in my ministry, people have tried to buy me on a number of occasions and, and sometimes offered you quite a lot of money. I've had people turn on my, up on my door to give me money if I would shut up on something. It's quite interesting, isn't it? I, I, I remember uh, being invited to speak at a conference and then having uh, all phone calls from people saying, listen if you speak at this conference, you mustn't talk about this subject. And I said, well, I never thought about talking about that subject until you've said, now I must. (laughs) And they said, well, please don't come. Okay. Manage his family well. Look at verses 4 to 5. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, and do it in a worthy manner. It's not to say that the children, as soon as you say, Oi, here, and the child is some kind of weird, you know, obedient dog thing. There will always be problems with children, but there's a difference between stubborn sin in a child and how fathers have put their children off because they're so awful fathers, either through neglect or over, overlaws. You can't be like that. Not a recent convert, and so it goes on. The third thing then, so there there, there, there's so many things there, isn't there? And and Tom will come back to some of these things when he preaches on deacons. There's loads of stuff there. But do you know, they're so ordinary, aren't they? But if you get all this ordinary right, it's extraordinary in this world. A faithful husband is extraordinary. A man that loves his children, you know, is not heavy-handed or is not just neglectful, is wonderful. A respectful person. Even though there's disrespect coming at him, he respects. The outside world says, I may not like what he says or what he believes, but he's a good one. He's a good one. Thirdly, then, able to teach, able to teach. Um, <clears throat> that is to teach the word of God. That is to hold to the historic truths. You see that in Paul's other other letters. Um, someone said that the only the only sort of uh, instrument that the the good shepherd has given under shepherds, because that's what an overseer is, is the shepherd's crook. It's the only thing we have for authority. And the shepherd's crook is the scriptures. That is the authority. That is what we teach. We don't get authority in our personality or even our position. We should never say things like, I'm an elder and you need to listen to me. It's not our position that gives us authority. It's the scriptures. The teaching of the scriptures that gives us our authority. So it should be, you need to listen to me because I'm interpreting what the Bible says into your life. So that there's no abuse of a personality or whatever. Okay, now let's land this then. Where are we? Let's, uh, this is my fourth point. This is applications and implications. There's so much stuff to say there. So I hope you're with me. Are you, is everybody alive? It's warm in here. And Okay, fourth, fourth point then, applications and implications. First thing. The household of God needs God-appointed leaders. The household of God needs God-appointed leaders. You see, some think that the church shouldn't have leaders. And it feels sort of right, that to some degree, because everybody's equal. And particularly with the great Reformation doctrine of the priesthood of all believers, in other words, everyone can teach everyone, which is what we do believe. So why do we need leaders? Isn't church meant to be a great democracy where basically we pray and maybe vote? And that's how the Holy Spirit works. But it isn't how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit gives gifts to the church and the gifts to the church are overseers. Remember the Acts 20. In Acts 20, 28, Paul says this, Keep watch over yourselves that you're following these things, and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So overseeing is a Holy Spirit job. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers and shepherds of the Church of Christ. In Hebrews 13, listen to this. Verse 17. Have confidence in your leaders. Now you can have confidence in your leaders if you're seeing them aspiring to those things that we've just read out. If you're not seeing that, then you really can't have confidence in your leaders. It's one reason why internet church doesn't work. You can see, or at least you can come and investigate how I treat my wife. You can see, or you can easily investigate and talk around how are, how are my children. You can see and know if I get drunk when I go down to the pub. You can see that. With internet churches, you don't know what the man is doing. And if the man is hidden away, and you have that old idea where he just comes out of a door to preach and then goes back into the door and you never see him again for the rest of your life other than just on a Sunday. There's something wrong with that. We are elders meant to be examples among the people, doing stuff that you can see. Is he faithful to his wife? Look at how he plays around when he sees women. That's not good. And so there is this seeing that's going on. So if you see those things, those basic principles that they're aspiring to then have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. We're accountable to God, those of us that are overseers. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden for that would be no benefit to you. Pray for us, he says pray so there are clearly leaders here given by the Holy Spirit leaders to submit to leaders to obey leaders to pray for leaders to rejoice in and obviously Paul's making that point in verse 1 of chapter 3 of 1 Timothy the idea that there's no leaders in Christianity is wrong and the idea that you shouldn't be a leader is wrong second point then Leaders, where are we? Gosh, Uh, leaders and overseers are themselves followers. If they're not, there's something wrong. Leaders, overseers are themselves followers. Paul says, "Follow me as I follow Christ." And so, leaders need to be applying the gospel and the lordship of Christ to every area of life, and that's what he's just said. To your work life, to your married life, to your home life, to your emotional life, to your financial life, to your recreational life. There's a constant following the Lord Jesus Christ and applying how it is to follow the Lord Jesus Christ in those areas of the life. We're aspiring to that, desiring that, working hard at that. And Paul understands that challenge. Paul says about himself in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I'm not just expending energy like an aimless runner. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. I'm not just sort of hitting out at anything. No, he says, I strike my body. It's an illustration. It's not flagellation as the Catholics go on about. It's, it's, it's saying I will, I will subject my body and my thinking. So I will strike my body... And make it a slave so that, listen, after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So the preacher has to preach to himself. When I've finished here, I need to go home and I need to look in the mirror and say, everybody likes households. They're interested in households. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Spare. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, um, the first point I'd like to make is the household of God. I have to preach to myself. If I don't do that, if these sermons aren't to myself, then I'm a dry leader. I make shoes for everybody else and still go barefoot. No, every, every leader is a follower. It's not leading and then you don't follow. This has got to be personal. This has got to be intimate. This has got to be preaching to yourself. People ask me, how do you think up preaching to people. i tell you how, I just think about me and how rotten I am. And then I preach at myself. And every worker knows the necessity of keeping sharp blades and keeping their tools in repair. And as ministers, as overseers, this is a constant following of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a minister that isn't being refilled with looking at Christ and seeing him as the great servant of the people, then you will dry up. And that's what happens so often with ministers. We need refilling, reinvigorating, looking at these points in our life. Happy to hear someone say a little bit of a criticism in order to put it right. If it's right, oh, yeah, thank you. Not wanting sin. Third thing, it's been said that the church will not progress above its leaders. Gosh, (laughs) that's worrying if that's true. And I think there's some truth in it. In other words, we need to pray our leaders will be godly so that we'll be godly. It's our task to pray the overseers of this church will be godly. And then we'll be godly, they're the example. We want to point to them and say, how do I treat my wife? Oh, you want to have a, you want to have a look at him. Uh, what about money? Oh, you want to go to that elder? Look at how he deals with money. Uh, what, what, what about you know when people are utterly criti- critical of him? Well, you want to go to him? He had a load of criticism. Fourthly, the world is full of toxic leaders, and that's the word that's being used all over the place. It's full of it. It's depressing if you watch the news. The Met Police. People use the word it's inst- it, What's it? Institutionalised. You know, uh, it's it's horrific. The whole institution almost needs to be shut down. Leaders don't. You know, good people go in and they can't change the thing. Or the fire brigade. The stuff that goes on there. Or even gymnastics, and sports, and schools, and care homes, and religious organizations, and churches, and financial world, and the political world. Leadership's shot through, isn't it? It's toxic everywhere. We put leaders up that don't believe anything. They're unfaithful to their wives. Why would they be faithful to the country they're serving? They lie. Why wouldn't they lie to us? There's leaders everywhere. They're abusive to women. Why would you put them in charge here then? And so Paul says, I want to come to church. I want you to come to church to see, as we were seeing last week, what men and women are like. I want you to come to church not to see men lording it over people like the pagans do. Jesus says that's not right. I want to see men serving, loving, giving, like the good shepherd laying their lives down, like the Lord Jesus Christ, who for the joy set before him endured the cross I want to see household overseers that are like that, so that when people come into the church, they see men that are testing themselves, approving themselves, uh, uh, or or, or rather, you know, uh, looking at themselves and and applying these words and aspiring and striving and stretching to be these very things. I want to see elders that are not just elders sitting there going, I'm an elder, but striving to be more godly, striving to be more enthusiastic giving up the drink if it's causing anyone to fall. That's what I want to see. People come into church and they'll see men acting as men and women acting as women, and it will be a massive, massive thing. That's why you must pray that we don't have any elders or overseers that will fall. It's an utter disgrace. It's a terrible thing when a Christian fails the Lord Jesus Christ, but we can gather round and cover and love and help, but it's a dreadful thing when a leader falls. It's a shocking thing. When a leader has been saying stuff like me and then goes and falls in some public way. So men, all men, strive for this. You may not be able to teach, that's okay. The thing is about Cornerstone, may I say, there are lots of men that are able to teach and fulfil these, uh, these things. And we just can't have them all on the eldership because there's a time thing there. We've got people like Matt Dreyer. He was an elder, living this stuff. We've got people like uh, Paul Morley working his guts out, he's doing this stuff but they're not necessarily on the eldership. There's loads of people like that. And it's a wonderful thing. But keep striving. Keep pushing. Keep giving yourself to this. And then one last point. A firing shot at the ladies. (laughs) If you want a bloke, look for a bloke like this. Yeah? Doesn't matter if he's fat and ugly and has got smelly breath. Yeah? Doesn't matter if he's got one eye and one leg or no legs. It doesn't matter if, you know, uh, well, I better not go on. Not the description that just went through my head. (laughs) It doesn't matter, but it does matter if he's got these qualifications. Do you want a good looking drunkard as a husband? It's a shocker. Do you want a good looking, gifted man with money who's not a one woman man as a husband? It's a disaster. In the end, the looks don't care, don't matter. But you want a man that's striving and aspiring to these things. So pray. Pray for men. Pray for us all. And pray for us leaders that we would be like this. Let's bow our heads and I'm going to hand over to Steve.
0: Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the wonderful joy it is to be part of your, of your family, uh, the family of the living God. And we thank you for um, the blessings, the gifts um, that you've given us uh, in, in leaders. But um, we do pray that you will uh, help um, all of the leaders here to, to love you, to be faithful to you, to be faithful to the, the ministries that you've called them to. And Lord, we do pray that you'll help us all to, to strive to be ultimately followers of the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his wonderful example and please help us to always keep him in the forefront of our minds. Amen.